Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of Scotto Shorts. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it and uh, all the social shares and everything like that. Uh, definitely helps this grow and and uh, gives me more of an incentive to keep doing more. So thank you again. So for episode two, uh, I wanted to do something uh, based on cancel culture. This is something that seems to be in the headlines and, and we see it every day on social media and things like that. So the three topics for this story is a hothead, even though I really wouldn't call him a hothead. He's just kind of a guy without a filter, and I don't know the best way to summarize that. So there is a lot of explicit language in this. It was really fun to write a character that's uh, very different from myself in the sense that he's not only bold, but he's um, just unafraid of how he speaks his own opinions without any uh, thought into how other people view it. Uh, The location is a science lab, I guess you could say. And then the topic, again, is cancel culture. So I really hope you enjoy it. Please keep the ideas coming for three topics. I'm monitoring those emails. Um, I have probably the first six to 10 months mapped out already with ideas uh, as this podcast kind of gains traction. So thanks again. Uh, Please feel free to share your ideas at scottoshorts at gmail.com. Otherwise, at scotto811 on Instagram. And finally, at scotto says on Twitter. Uh, So there's lots of ways to contact me and, and issue these. Also, I am posting the album art Uh, You can always comment on that on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that to uh, share your ideas on what to write about next. So anyways, here is episode two of Scottle Shorts. Transcend, a story written and performed by Scott Smith. Chapter one. Fuck, Tom said aloud as he stared at an empty bottle of water. Shit, he continued. He's realizing that this is perhaps the last bottle of water. No, not literally the last bottle of water. The last that he'll ever drink here at Transcend, and that's a sad thought. He supposes it's not as bad as some apocalypse-based movie where some sadder, lonelier version of himself scours the earth for a shit-caked bottle of Dasani, but it's still not awesome. Fucking shit, he says even louder. Clever, his business partner with the stupidest name in the history of all mankind, walks in and just stares at him blankly. Swearing to yourself again, eh? He says as he opens the fridge. Seriously, Tom? You grabbed the last one again? You suck. Whatever, clever, Tom says, somehow between dueling thoughts of rage and hatred. Ha! That's why my mom named me clever. I don't even have to try to be funny. You should try it more. Try what, Tom says. But this time it's clear hatred has won the battle and is taking over from a previous dead heat with rage inside his head stadium. Being a waste of space with a stupid fucking name. Dang, man. I guess we can rule out the last bottle of water being laced with ecstasy then, huh? The only drug I need is green, Clever, and you know it. We're done, man. We're finished. Why aren't you more upset over this bullshit? Why can't you ever just fucking get angry? We got fucked. Like, royally fucked, Tom laments. Yeah, we're like 17 singles away from being a hooker on a busy night, Clever says as he chuckles like a 14-year-old. That's a response to everything. Let's just laugh at our problems and maybe it'll all just go away and everything will work out magically, he mocked. I mean... It's better than living a life swearing alone in the dark in an empty break room at the last bottle. Wait, hold on. Are you pretending you're an apocalypse movie or something and that's the last bottle of water like ever? Oh, oh, and you're just like clinging to life somehow because you're so alone and sad or something melodramatic like that? Fuck off, Tom says to Clever's back as he's walking away. Somehow Tom always gets the last word on Clever. He feels good about it too, but inside he knows it has zero effect on Clever's seemingly always happy mood. Prick, Tom reaffirms, making sure everyone knows that he got the last word. Except there's no one there to know it, because everyone else is gone. 
Chapter 2. Where It All Started The year was 1985. Some say that's the best year ever, but we all know 83 was better. Spring in college, some random lab in Jardinowski Hall. He can't even remember where after all these years, but he does remember how. It was during a lab where they were dissecting some dumbass animal for their neurochem lab. He got matched up with Clever and Tom hated him almost immediately. He was always happy and smiling. What a dick, he thought. Crazy, though. To this day, he remembers when he flipped, almost like a light switch, from, you know, hating him to just accepting his genius and dealing with his stupid name. It was a boring, unfunny joke, but somehow it's always what they bonded on. Tom would get in a mood, hate something, or get upset, and then Clever would just be clever, I guess. Sounds like someone has a mouth that's never tasted a bar of Irish Spring, Clever exclaimed. Gosh, looking back, what a dumb joke. Those are the ones that get you, though. You least expect them, and they're just so stupid that it makes you laugh. You just kind of have to. Well, I guess you don't have to. They were reviewing the course notes, and Clever pointed out a small detail that Tom honestly thought no one else would notice. It was a small detail, but it was one that would shape their entire career, together. The note, which he really can't remember in detail, was about electrical impulses inside the human brain. Something about blah blah, you can't create or reliably read these impulses because you really couldn't back then. Tom and Clever both spoke to the teacher after a lecture several days after noticing. They spent all those nights in between sleepless and research of their theory that someday, maybe we could read those impulses. You see, I think this note is incorrect. They were giddy with excitement as they spoke to their professor. Sweden in particular has some very interesting papers on how they are continuing to progress in. I've seen the Swedish research papers, you two. I know you think you're helping, but we don't deal in what-ifs in my course. Mr. Thompson, their professor said condescendingly as he interrupted Clever. Tom wasn't necessarily the brains between the two. Honestly, it's likely the only thing they both agreed on that they were equal. Clever, though, was the mouth, and to that there was absolutely no doubt. Pitch meetings, board reviews, marketing, on, on, and on. Clever was the guy. Tom was the, I'm not going to go to bed until my eyes bleed and I figure out a way around the situation guy. Tom chimed in. The only time he could never stay silent was when someone tried to bully the truth. Listen, Mr. Thompson, we've spent the last couple days summarizing these papers and research, and we think it's something you should look at. There's some really interesting stuff here. You should open your eyes a bit. There it was. The Tom moment, as Clever liked to call it. He had to add that last little jab. It was just his way. Now see here, I will not be sullied by my students, either in private or during class, Thompson said strictly. Now! I expect you both to move on from this nonsense and focus on your planned curriculum. There's a big midterm coming up, and you two are some of my brightest. If I'm to win an award for my distinguished teaching methods again this year, I have you two to thank for that. So please, let's all succeed together. Fucking brainless twat, Tom said as he walked away. He's not entirely wrong, Tom. Why don't we just buckle down and focus on this stuff for a bit and keep this on the old back burner for now? We can always try it out later. I'm pretty sure Sweden ain't floating away anytime soon, no matter how hard we try. But neither of us could walk away. We were onto something. We never spoke about it, but I suspect Clever had the same gut feeling I did, that we could change the world and the science. We quit to form Transcend after that midterm. Thompson was so pissed. The asshole never even got his prize. It was like the cherry on top. Chapter 3. Moving up. I remember cramming for those midterms like crazy. My brain hurt. And not like... Oh, I have a headache, kind of hurt. More like, why am I staying up for 20 hours a day to cram for this stupid fucking test while I theorize how to change the human race with our research and study for midterms? 
I remember hearing Clever snoring in the other room. He just never had to work as hard as I did. He had the gab and the fab. Shit. Listen to me. I even talk like him sometimes. That should tell you how much time we've spent together. It's crazy to think that this year will be almost 25 years of doing research together. We both had bold ambitions right from the start. We never stopped to think what we were doing. We just wanted to help. We wanted to change the world, and even as it's falling apart, I can say we never wanted the fame, press, money, or limelight that came with our work. I know everyone says that, but honestly, neither of us cared. We basically both grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons in our respective parents' basements. We actually used to joke that if we grew up as friends, we probably never would have gotten this far. We'd likely both still be playing D&D in a basement somewhere while we trade shifts at GameStop to fund our obsession with magic, Dungeons and Dragons, and all those fun nerdy games. I think our lack of social lives drove us to be brainiacs, that we would eventually challenge conventional teachings and hopefully change the world. Either way, we both found our way to college on someone else's dime. We ended school on our terms, together. We didn't argue, fight, or debate. We just knew it was time to leave. After months of top ramen, endless research and study in a crazy small studio apartment, we were finally ready to make our pitch. We had rock-solid theories. Well, as rock-solid as any theory that defies all current science can be. We needed funding, or at least a steady check, where someone else would take the financial risk that we couldn't. Clever's family had a little money, and they certainly did help us in those times, but nothing like we needed. We started contacting anyone that would listen. First came the big dogs. Microsoft, Google, Facebook, shit, we even called Ask Jeeves. No one wanted us, our theories, or our attitudes. Our pitch depended on our confidence, but most just thought we were arrogant. We got laughed out of almost everywhere. Those that didn't laugh were condescending in their, we'll let you know, au revoir. It was kind of depressing, actually, but it never deterred us one bit. We were confident that we could deliver on some level and knew it was only a matter of time before someone believed in us. Persistence pays off, kiddos. We finally decided to go private. Well, we kind of had to. It wasn't our best option, and when we originally wrote the business plan, we had that as a last resort. But it turned out to be the best option as we were sick of potentially changing the world for a lifelong $150,000 a year salary with Johnson & Johnson Research or some other bullshit like that. Quickly, our last resort became our best option and preferred option. Now, I don't want you to think we were after the money. As I said, we just wanted to make sure the science was sound and available to help humanity. I mean, honestly, we just wanted another reason to love technology, not add to its monetization by current big tech companies. Everything happens for a reason, Tom. I can remember Clever mockingly saying to me back then, we can seriously make this stuff ourselves and just upload the source code to the net if we want. Screw it, let's just set the world on fire. Overall, from our starting pitch at Google all the way to getting our first check and searching for a research facility in Arizona, it took us nearly three years. We were so broke and near the edge, but we persevered. Those last months were nerve-wracking. We grew to despise humanity in a way. We secluded into our science and into our friendship. One thing I'll say is, without those tough times, I think we would have failed. We needed that pressure to, to push us together. We knew we had something incredible, but we just needed someone to believe in us. I remember staying up and playing magic to rest our brains. Fuck you, Clever. You're one mana short. Suck on that and put that shit back in the deck. Dude, I have a spell that creates two mana per tap on my forest, you turd sandwich. So how about them apples, Tommy boy? He knew I hated it when he called me that. Also, I hated being wrong, especially when I was calling him out and feeling pretty good about my chances at ending this game within the next two turns. Knock, knock. 
Who's there, Clever? Ugh, he was telling his own jokes again. Suck. Suck who? Suck on this, Tom. You can't block me either. Ha ha! For the record, I still won that game. The next morning, we did it. We made that breakthrough that we were searching for. With a simple bracket placed on an old hard hat, we were communicating with the human brain. Colors at first, but I could sit there and focus on a color, and the data would interpret it. I could think yellow, and it would appear. I could think gray, and there it would be. We even asked our landlord to take a turn, and it worked. It fucking worked. The next pitch had to be the right person, because no matter who it might be, that person was going to invest. We had done it. We were on the highway to Brain Talk City, baby. We had a decent network left over from our college days, and we flexed it. We spoke with anyone we'd ever known in an attempt to get the skinny on all those rich shitheads. One of our really close friends shot us in the direction of this whale, a younger, hip, rich hedge fundy, as Clever liked to call them. The person we picked? Clarence Givings. Quite possibly the worst hedge fund manager name ever. Sometimes I wonder, how do all these idiotic names keep finding me? But... I know why. It's because my name is fucking Tom Smith. Great job, world. Let's give the world's most boring name and then force these dumbass names down my throat forever. That'll make me feel great. I mean, givings? That's actually worse than clever, but honestly, it was equally as fitting. He had endless amounts of cash and seemed to not care about spending it, at least on us and the research anyways. It's good too, all that cash. That suited our need for, get this, A $35 million initial six-month startup cost. Can you believe it? $35 million in the first six months. And then we went over by five because fuck it. From we'll let you know to here's a pile of cash with no strings attached. Those early years were still hard though. Harder than we thought and it was humbling and refreshing all the same. I never slept. Clever slept like a damn baby snoring and farting his way into bliss nightly while I angrily typed louder and louder with some small malicious hope that Clever would hear and finally wake from his slumber to help me. I gotta be fair, though. Clever held his own and did his fair share. I might have done more at times, but that's only because I'm a restless asshole. An honest one, though. We would sleep in the room next to our lab, often taking turns writing code and designing the leads that would eventually be our key to unlocking the brain's language. We were progressing at lightning pace, Within five years, we were testing more functions, controlling robot arms with thoughts alone. The more we learned, the easier it seemed to get. We would spend four months steady on an issue, then somehow progress to three months on our next, which would be more complex than the last. We were sleeping more, progressing more, and ultimately impressing everyone who would learn our secrets. There were the occasional rumors and tabloid stuff, but honestly, no one knew shit. Within 10 years, we were in the initial trial phase with monkeys. Trial phase, you heard that right. We shifted our thoughts from what to control to what we can input. No joke, we were going to input memories, language, instructions, and all sorts of wild stuff right into your fucking dome. That was our goal. At first, we had almost no setbacks and nearly constant breakthroughs. Clarence insisted we tell no one, always insisting that secrecy is our rule number one. We were completely okay with that. Any new hires were given 64 buttloads of paperwork and NDAs to sign before they even saw the building's front door, let alone learned about our research. Our tech and research was near perfection when we started those first trials. Shit, back then, we had almost 35 full-time staff in year 12, as we refer to it, around Transcend Campus. Everyone was working like a Swiss clock. We did have some setbacks, sure, but we all just kept pushing forward at an unthinkable pace. I mean, 
We were fucking changing human history with 37 nerds, a pile of cash, and sheer willpower. Tell me that's not amazing. Tell me we were wrong. I suppose it's time to tell you about our tech firsthand, huh? I mean, most of you already know. It's been in the news for six months straight, and I'm not sure there's a social network left that hasn't crucified us somehow on a minute-by-minute basis. We essentially succeeded at finding a way to digitize your thoughts, feelings, and communicate with the human brain via a neural link to a server cluster the size of a Walmart. Groundbreaking stuff. We were even close to theorizing the cures for some major human ailments too, like Alzheimer's and other neurological diseases. We actually had success with curing genetic ailments like death and blindness. I mean, we were on the cutting edge. No one was even close to us, and that's not a boast. We actually did it. I know we could go further. I know we can continue to push the boundaries even more. I bet all those kids just want us to make brain-based immersive VR games, and I bet we could have done it. It probably would have helped fuel the cash fire that is our research at some point. Once, we got a small team together and spent like two months on an idea whiteboard for a giant mnemonic-type storage device built into your brain. Imagine dragging drop files to your head, man. I can see the dude, Jeff Bridges himself, or someone like Keanu Reeves being our pitch guy in a shit commercial that only plays at 1am on MTV. You want to learn something new in a week? How about simply plug it into your head while you sleep? That's on our horizon, and every one of us here at Transcend knew it, until it all just came crashing down to the ground down to the last water bottle in a break room in Arizona. Chapter three, the event. Next came our big coming out party, as Clever likes to call it. He's such an idiot, but it was technically accurate. We disagreed like we usually did with some sort of these things. He wanted an event. I wanted science and at most a press conference and a pre-recorded video detailing the nuts and bolts and a simple shareable video where we wouldn't really take any questions. Clarence was our tiebreaker. He settled somewhere in the middle, and it was fine. We detailed our vision, and the public was skeptical at best. Skepticism is kind of what we needed. The more they wondered about our tech, the more our science would shine through all the bullshit talk hosts and fake scientists on CNN. I'll lay it out for you, albeit a bit easier than it actually was. We shared that we were going to create an interface with the human brain. Basically, we would translate electrical impulses to data, and vice versa. Make phone calls with a thought. Done. Think of a novel in your head. It's already on the computer screen. Born without vision, technology would give you something you never had. We wanted the sun, moon, sky, and we did it all. Our trials went good enough with some small hiccups, but never anything more than a few bumps. We taught a monkey to speak with a digitized voice and everything. We even went on Oprah, fucking Oprah, with a monkey who could talk through a computer. I mean, if that's not enough for this world, what the fuck would be, right? I called it a skepticism-fueled science fire of awesome. And we were on Oprah. Then, a couple years ago, we had what would come to be known as the event. No, we didn't name it that, but all them idiots at the talking head news sure did. We passed everything required to move to basic human trials, earlier than predicted, and we were successful thus far. Our tests back when the event happened were non-invasive and didn't even need one pinprick to accomplish. It was all with a helmet. Not an old hard hat either at this point. We graduated from hard hat customs to laser-cut titanium and 3D-printed awesomeness from our in-house prototype facility. We had this retired army vet with PTSD in our lab. He was suffering from severe night tremors and something they like to call traumatic events. Basically, he was reliving parts of his tour where his friends had gotten hurt or he was in danger. 
Man, we wanted to help him so badly. I remember not sleeping for months while we were trying. We had finally put a face onto the science and it was breaking us. All of us in the lab, honestly. He was so sincere. He was so genuine, just so likable. He never did anything wrong. He grew up in a small Indiana town, joined the army because that's all he had after his mother passed away and just wanted to get through life well enough to have a family. Anyways, we were trying to like hell to crack the impossible monster, as Clever liked to call it. Clever was taking it even harder than me. He just wanted this so badly. That's when we had a breakthrough. We were essentially trying to crack the ability to handle memories digitally, almost like files on a computer. We were working to recreate those moments and essentially endlessly play them over and over while changing small, slight details. Our theory was that if we wrote enough of these memories into your brain, it would gradually start to believe them instead of the real memories that were there previously. We couldn't just control, delete your memories. They were there for better or worse. But if we could somehow convince your brain that the details were different, less harsh, or maybe not as traumatic as the real life ones, maybe that would be enough to wipe those memories and recover from the severity of the traumatic event. So we had slowly changed his traumatic events and were, let's say about 12% there. He was having longer lapses between the events. He was genuinely feeling better and there was hope in his eyes. I remember, and this one haunts me most of these days, he grabbed my arm after a really bad event. He was just waking up and he was coming out of that pain. He had tears on his face and he was hot. You could feel his trauma radiating off of him. He grabs me, looks straight into my eyes and says, just promise me you won't stop. Just tell me you're going to keep going no matter what I say. This is the most hope I've had in years. God bless you. God bless this entire place. It energized us. Every time he was in pain, we thought about stopping. We were haunted by those tears, screams, and just understanding how much pain he was really in. I mean, we could see it. It was data that we could interpret. This was different. In his deepest, darkest hour, he wanted more. He knew we were on a path to a pain-free life, and we were the ones that would give it to him. Fuck. It was such a good feeling then, and now it's just that moment I wish I could have back. I'm not the type to dwell, but that's a moment I'd happily relive right now. We were nearing one of our milestones, as we like to schedule them. We were changing the location of the trauma, and this was a big one. It was the first major detail we were essentially changing. After months of small refinements and adjustment, this was the big one. That's when it all happened. That's when we lost him. The perfect fucking storm. Chapter 4. The Top of the Downfall We changed him right forever. Right now, and it pains me to say or think this, I guess, he can't even feed himself and he can barely stand on his own. It's not what you think. We didn't make a mistake, but someone surely did. The fucking universe did, I guess. Either by giving us this much power or by trying to play God or no matter what, somebody did. There was an attack, I guess. Some hopped up dumbass meth head who wanted to knock over a gas station for some cash. Who would you think crashed a car into a giant transformer bank, obviously causing a huge power surge that somehow bypasses every single safeguard to perfectly deliver a variation of just 1 65th of a volt? Yep, that same meth head. That same beautiful army soldier who just wanted some relief. Paid yet another unfortunate and likely ultimate price. Want to know the shittiest thing about it all? 
Two rooms over, our team was working and closing in on addiction cures. How's that for a batch of shit irony? Our beloved soldier paid his price yet again. His will, video and all, stated that we should not be held accountable. The crazy bastard actually had enough sense to video himself discussing his wishes, telling the court, the legal one, and most importantly, the court of public opinion, that we need to be patient, that his sacrifice, even if he had to pay it, was worth it, that this relief was his to seek. No one can take that from him, that he had tried it all and nothing helped him, but we did, and that's why he was willing to pay the price, so he and future generations could have the relief they needed. The silly bastard even closed it with, sometimes you gotta break a few eggs, and I'm more than happy to be the first one in the omelet. The public didn't see it that way, neither did the courts. What we didn't have to pay someone, we paid someone else. Whatever step we took forward, everyone else took five back to put us in our place. We're done, canceled, by the very same public that was all too happy to celebrate our achievements two hours before the event. It's convenient when they can celebrate, but if something happens, out of your control or not, they just believe what they believe. Independent panels found us with no violations. Lawyers circled for any small issue they could hope to gain just a smidgen of our cash. Fucking vultures. They were basically ambulance chasing traffic court lawyers as far as I'm concerned. So there you go, world. You can take everything from me, but you can't take my will to want to help. I can't stop on this mission, even if it means swearing to an empty water bottle in a break room with no one in it with rooms that have no light because the electric bill has become cumbersome. Fuck you, world. I'm Tom. He's clever, and together, we won't let you take us down. Public be damned. We have a mission to complete. To help. To better. To change forever. Sitting here thinking about the past in this break room, it's crushing. I just want to help people. I want to make technology for everyone that can help everyone. And just as I'm hitting my bottom, there's a knock on the door. It's Clarence. He's got a somber look, but do I see a hint of hope? Tom, brother, gotta have a quick chat. He says walking in to sit down next to me. He pulls out a letter, slides it over with a small smile on his face. The paper, a letter of commitment from 32 of our 37 recent staff, signed, ready to commit at no pay research in any country, any location. Well, this certainly makes it harder to quit now, doesn't it? I said as I handed back the paper. Don't you let cancer culture win. Don't you let these small-minded folks who don't understand you pull your ambitions down on you, man. I believe in you, Clarence said with genuine confidence and sincerity. We all do, Tom. It was clever. No jokes, just sincerity. I hear Argentina is nice this time of year, I said him aloud with a little smile. Nah. They don't even want us. Something about a bad experience with a group of German folks and some bad press after a war concluded, he said with his all-too-typical laughing tone. I got some ideas. I've already got a couple chats. We have a home. I just want to make sure we have the same hope that we had that drove you this far. If you doubt yourselves one bit, this is over, Clarence said with a stern tone. I'm not in this for 98%. It's 100% or nothing. We have to see this through, guys. We have to give this hope back to the world, even if they don't want it right now. Fast forward a year. I'm not going to tell you where we are, but I am going to tell you that Transcend 2.0 is alive. We're on a path now, for better or worse, and I can promise you that path won't have any cancel size speed bumps in the way. 
because no one will ever know. Not until we're done. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. Uh, These stories will continue to come out on the first Monday of every month going forward. So uh, I'll see you guys again in a month. I want to give a little backstory to some of this stuff too, in the sense that uh, when I was little, my mom shared with me old time radio and it's something that stayed with me forever. And these were, you know, 30 to 45 to one hour stories that they would cultivate every single week and, and people would sit around and listen to these stories because You know, TV really wasn't a thing back then, and you were just so engrossed in the story. So that's kind of part of the motivation of this, that I want to bring some of that back through literature and performance and stuff like that. So I I hope everyone enjoys them. Um, I'm sure my mom is enjoying it. Rest in peace. And uh, I look forward to sharing more of these stories with you. So thank you again to everyone who listened, and we'll see you guys again in a month.